Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church, now serving over 180 countries. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Close to His Heart and is on the subject of God's tenderness. It's based upon the readings for Sunday, December 4th, 2005, the second Sunday in Advent. Every year at this time, I dig through my jumble of CDs to find The Messiah by George Frederick Handel, which I then proceed to play day after day through the Advent season. Written at a low point in his career, Handel composed the oratorio with breathtaking speed in just three weeks, from August 22nd until September 14th in the year 1741. Combined with the libretto prepared by Charles Jennings, which is nothing more or less than the Old Testament and New Testament passages from the King James Version of 1611, the Messiah is perhaps the greatest and most widely recognized aesthetic expression of spiritual truth ever created. Encompassing the breadth of human experiences from sin and suffering, expectation and fulfillment, to death and resurrection, the slow, soothing first strains of the Messiah open with poetry from Isaiah's scriptures for this week. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith your God. Speak ye tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. Handel and Jennings begin the Christian story at a signal juncture by highlighting the character of God front and center. Isaiah's poetry imagines a sentinel who climbs a high mountain and screams at the top of his lungs, Behold your God, Isaiah 40 verse 9. And just what is this God like? Isaiah compares him to a shepherd tending his sheep. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He is a God who builds a highway in a desert wasteland, who raises valleys and levels mountains, who makes the crooked straight and the rough places plain. Peter's epistle for this week adds to this portrait of God's character by emphasizing twice his patience toward all people, while the psalmist for this week praises him for his peace, favor, restoration, forgiveness, and unfailing love. The Christian God is not merciless or vindictive, not stingy, strict, or severe, nor is he aloof, detached, indifferent, or unconcerned. No. Isaiah's God exudes kindness, solicitude, and affection towards all. The God of Isaiah's poetry longs to bring every human being close to his heart. Isaiah 40, verse 11. From start to finish, the Christian story celebrates this God who is, above all else, a God characterized by gentleness, tenderness, and empathy toward all flesh, that is, toward all humanity. 
Since 1988, a growing number of people around the world have commemorated December 1st as World AIDS Day. Despite, despite this progress made, the statistics of this scourge, and especially its human toll, remain staggering. In the year 2004, about 5 million people were newly infected with HIV. Young people between the ages of 15 and 24 accounted for half of those new infections. At the end of 2004, women accounted for 47% of all people living with HIV, although in poorer parts of the world, that figure is much higher. Since 1981, more than 20 million people have died of AIDS. And at the end of 2004, almost 40 million people were living with HIV, nearly 95% of whom live in the developing world. Africa alone has 12 million AIDS orphans. One favorite saint of mine who is intervening with compassionate care, motivated by the tenderness of God, is Dr. Art Amon, the former director of pediatric immunology and clinical research at the University of California Medical Center in San Francisco. Back in the summer of 1981, Amon treated a prostitute IV drug abuser and three of her children, all four of whom presented unusual deficiencies in their immune systems that were aggravated by opportunistic infections that did not fit normal medical models of disease. He determined that the mother and all three children had contracted AIDS, which was tragic enough because the disease was fatal. But perhaps even more devastating was his shocking conclusion, hotly contested and very controversial at the time, that HIV AIDS was not limited to adults. Amon determined that HIV had passed from the mother to her children as an acquired and not an inherited disease. Thus, in 1982, Dr. Art Amon documented the first cases of AIDS transmission from mother to infant and the first blood transfusion AIDS patients. After his tenure at University of California at San Francisco, Amon spent seven years at Genentech conducting medical research, four years of director of research for the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation, and then two years as president of AMFAR, the American Foundation for AIDS Research. All of that, though, was a precursor to his passionate conviction to incarnate the tenderness of God in still more innovative ways. In 1998, Amon founded Global Strategies for HIV Prevention, where today he ministers around the world. With a special focus on women and children, Global Strategies implements international strategies to prevent HIV infection and to work toward a generation free of HIV. They have distributed the CD-ROM, Women, Children, and HIV, which contains more than 5,000 pages of medical information, to health professionals in over 50 countries. Their Cradle of Life program trains birth attendants to care for HIV-infected pregnant women in resource-poor developing countries. My personal favorite is their Save a Life program that makes the drug Navirapine available to pregnant women 
reducing mother-to-child transmission of HIV by as much as 50%. To date, Global Strategies has provided nevirapine, or funds to purchase it, for over 62,000 mother-infant pairs in over 70 hospitals or clinics in more than 22 countries. A few years ago, the International Association of Physicians in AIDS Care honored Art Amon with their Hero in Medicine Award. To me, Amon is not only a scientific hero, and thank God for that, but he's also a Christian hero, a saint who in the later years of his career has placed himself at the place of extreme human need in order to demonstrate the tenderness of God. Thanks to him, thousands of tragically sick people have experienced not only expert health care, but a touch of love, and so have been brought, in the words of Isaiah, close to God's heart. For further reflection, see the book by Brennan Manning, entitled The Wisdom of Tenderness, first published in 2002. And then three questions. How has HIV AIDS impacted your own Christian community? Second, why has HIV AIDS carried such a stigma? And third, where might you demonstrate the tenderness of God that moves people close to his heart? My book review this week is of a biography entitled Beethoven, The Universal Composer by Edmund Morris, New York, HarperCollins, 2005, 243 pages. This slender volume is no substitute for the likes of Maynard Salman's 500-page book on Beethoven, first published in 1977 and revised in 1988, but that is not its purpose. Rather, this book takes its place in the Eminent Lives series, which publishes biographies on canonical figures by distinguished contemporary authors. Edmund Morris, the author of this volume, for example, is best known for his Pulitzer Prize-winning biography, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, 1979, and more recently, Theodore Rex, 2002. Although I noticed that the book jacket also describes him as a pianist and, quote, private scholar of music, end quote, who has studied Beethoven for half a century. The result is an accessible book geared for a general readership about one of the greatest composers ever to live. Compared to Mozart, who astonished regal courts at age six or seven, Beethoven got a comparatively late start, although by his teenage years he was an acknowledged genius. The first written comparison to Mozart is when Beethoven was 13. He was also well known for his multitude of eccentricities, his ugly looks, poor social skills, inability to perform simple math, slovenly personal habits and squalid living conditions despite his wealth, deep loneliness, a volcanic temper, depression, unimaginably manipulative and vindictive behavior towards those closest to him, greed, lying and cheating, and of course his deafness that descended upon him at the age of 31. 
After meeting four times in the summer of 1812, Goethe described Beethoven as, quote, an utterly untamed personality, end quote. But his music, so full of contrast and conflict, is simply some of the most beautiful and sublime ever to emerge from a mortal. With quick strokes, Edmund Morris takes us through Beethoven's aborted lessons with Mozart. He had to return after two weeks because of his mother's funeral. And then Beethoven's move at the age of 22 to study with Haydn in Vienna, where he lived for the rest of his life. At the ripe age of 24, he had what amounted to his public debut, after which history took its course. His final public performance was in 1814, a dozen years before he died. Beethoven's ambition and prodigious capacity for work made him a wealthy celebrity and the darling of both royalty and aristocracy, but he was hounded his entire life by deep loneliness, chronic ill health, and social alienation due to his, due to his eccentricities. But by himself, he instigated a revolution in music. According to Morris, quote, the age of affect, of familiar sounds and rationalized patterns designed to evoke specific emotions was over. The age of argument had begun, music that actually fought with itself, with the composer struggling to balance its contrary dynamics and the performer struggling to master its difficulties, while the listener, caught up in the struggle too, wondered which force was going to prevail." End quote. Edmund Morris, Beethoven, the Universal Composer. My film review this week is of a film entitled Me and You and Everyone We Know, 2005. I watched this film because it earned awards at five film festivals, including Cannes and Sundance. But save your time and money, it's horrible. The dialogue is dreadful, the plot unbelievable, the multiple subplots distracting, and the teenage sex ridiculous, if not perverse. So, the experts are wrong, including Roger Ebert, by the way, who gave this film four of four stars. In the film, a character named Richard is separating from his wife, Pam. He works at a shoe store. He meets Christine, a starving artist who drives a taxi for the elderly, as if we should care. I guess the film revolves around one single line of a senior citizen to the effect, quote, your whole life could be better starting right now, end quote. I guess I would agree with that, especially if you avoid this film. Me and you and everyone we know. And finally for this week in the Advent season, we post a poem by John Donne entitled Nativity. Immensity cloistered in thy dear womb now leaves his well-beloved imprisonment. There he hath made himself to his intent weak enough now into the world to come. But, oh, for thee, for him, hath the inn no room? Yet lay him in this stall, and from the Orient stars and wise men will travel to prevent the effect of Herod's jealous general doom. Seest thou, my soul, with thy faith's eyes, 
how he which fills all place, yet none holds him, doth lie? Was not his pity towards thee wondrous high, that would have need to be pitied by thee? Kiss him, and with him into Egypt go, with his kind mother who partakes thy woe. Thank you for joining journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, December 4th, 2005. And be sure to join us every Monday for a new essay, book note, film review, and poem. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.